It's time to go inside the front office of the Athletics with the general manager of the A's, David Forst. Here now is the David Forst Show with Chris Townsend. It is time for the general manager show. The general manager of your Oakland Athletics, David Forrest, before we get ready for the A's and the Giants. David, how are you? It was a pretty good setup guy you had for me there, so nicely done. Yeah, we were talking to him about what fascinates me is how you can make one pitch multiple pitches. Mm -hmm. So the gift that he has had for a very long time is his slider. He can make it a big loopy kind of frisbee. We like to call it a slurve. He can make it more tight. He can throw it faster. He can throw it slower. To take one pitch and make it multiple pitches, and right-handed hitters have trouble hitting all of them, that's pretty special. That's how you stick around for a long time, I'm sure. 14 years. Really impressive, Sergio Romo, what he's done for you and how he's earned Bob's trust. Without a doubt, yeah. He's been huge over the last couple months. I mean, yeah, he'll be the first to admit he, you know, got off to a little shaky start in, in April and May. But, man, when he when he finds it and locks in, he's he's hard to hit. You know, when, when you know, we got to get in, into what happened with Chris Bassett. It's just so scary. Uh, and it takes you back to what happened with Brandon McCarthy in, in 2012 and, and Nick Paparesta. And I think also with the White Sox trainer and the White Sox doctor, I think that just showed us all. You know, when something like that happens, everybody in the medical staffs, it's all about the person and helping the person because it's not very often we see EMTs come out onto the field. No, it's not. And, and you know, you, you go through a crisis like that and you sort of learn who you have running things. And, and I said this to the writers the other day. I mean, Nick is, Nick is the best. I mean, he was, he was on the mound. Within seconds, he was with Chris in the ambulance. He was with Chris's family. He was communicating with the front office and ownership. He was coordinating doctors and surgeons. I mean, um, you know, on top of that, then, you know, Mickey's coordinating transportation for everybody, getting Chris's parents there, working with the hotel. And so, I mean, you just, you know, you really appreciate the people who, who work here when you have to deal with something like that. And Chris could not have been in better hands. So when I think about Chris, and obviously with the swelling, you can't have the surgery until next week. I just I, I don't want to say it's best case scenario, but it could have been a lot worse. And when we heard that, okay, it's some broken bones in the cheek, and yeah. there's going to be a plate in there, but all that will heal. And I think for me, that was good news, knowing that could be a lot worse. A hundred percent. I think I I think Chris would absolutely tell you that he feels lucky that you know he got out of there. His eye is in great shape. Uh, the scan, you know, the brain scan showed nothing. I mean, it was it was an awful, awful thing, an incredibly traumatic thing. But but he got out of there fairly lucky, um, and he's going to have the surgery. We hope on Tuesday, and uh, take care of that fracture in his cheekbone. And um, but everything else, you know, everything heals. So that's that's the best news. And so he'll he'll remain in Chicago, surgery, and then through recovery before they'll allow him to fly 100 percent. yeah it didn't make sense to put him on a plane right now and, and like you said we have to wait for the swelling to go down he uh he saw the eye doctor again today he'll meet with the surgeon on monday and then you know like i said as long as the swelling does what they expect over the weekend have the surgery on tuesday probably have to remain there for you know 48 72 hours after surgery and and we hope to fly him back here friday or saturday next week yeah, and then, of course, he, he, he tells his fellow guys, you know, he's the leader of the staff and tells them it's time to step up, and, yeah. and, and that's kind of a, a rallying cry right now. What do you think about that for the rest of your starters after they saw that, that they know 
they've got to put more on their shoulders. For sure. And and how many times you and I talk about guys stepping up and having to fill in. And, and I think just for, for the whole group to see Chris yesterday, I know we heard after the game yesterday from Cole and from a couple of the guys about how great it was just to see Chris in person because, you know, a lot of them hadn't seen him since Tuesday night since he got carted off the field. And, you know, we'd heard the good reports and, uh, a couple guys had seen pictures that weren't great from that night, but to see him come to the clubhouse yesterday, still looking, you know, looking like he was in a fight, but but yeah. kind of having his, you know, his personality and his mentality there, and telling these guys that he's going to be fine, and and like you said, that it's time for everybody else to step up. I think that was, you know, that was a big boost for everyone. So this homestand, you got Giants, you got Mariners, you got Yankees. Yeah. Every home stands big. Every game counts. Every, you know, I try to tell everybody, hey, the games at the beginning of the year count the exact same at the end of the year. But what does this home stand mean? I mean, starting with the the White Sox series on Monday, going forward, I think we, you know, we knew we basically have the toughest schedule out there. I mean, I, I, you you sort of line it up, and we've got, you know. Like you said, we got the Giants and the Yankees coming. We got the White Sox again. We got the Blue Jays. We got six with the Astros. You know, going into August, we sort of knew what we were facing, and the guys played great coming out of the shoot, winning seven in a row. You you hit a little bump there in Chicago against a really really good team. I mean, that's a good team in the White Sox. They haven't had all those guys together up until a week or two ago, and now you look at their lineup. You look at Kimbrel and Liam in the back end. That's a really good team. So. Um, we're going to see, you know, we're going to see how we stack up this weekend against the team with the best record in baseball, against the Yankees, who are the hottest team in baseball. They've played the best, I think, since mid-July. And um, like you said, they all count the same. But we know when we get to this time of year that the spotlight is on and, and you got to win games. And we've talked about this a couple times, especially during the, the White Sox series on A's Cast Live, about how, you know, in the National League, you got Giants and Brewers have been pretty consistent. But, but in our league... Everybody's been up and down. It's been a roll. Like if somebody wins seven, then you lose four. Nobody in the American League has been consistent all year long. Just talk about how it's 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 been a, it's basically been about streaks all season. It has. You're absolutely right. And and I mean, look, the Rays are are sort of out there as the team that that has played the best. They've had a couple bumps in the road, but I mean, you look any week. I mean, would the Astros lose three out of four to the Royals this week? I mean, it happens, and the Yankees have gotten hot. They obviously went through a long, tough stretch with their offense and playing around 500, but they're they're putting things together. So it is going to be the teams that over the next six weeks play consistent baseball and, and, and frankly, win the games they're supposed to win. I mean, we all sort of look at the schedule, and you know who the teams are that aren't in the pennant race and the games you're supposed to win, and you're going to have to do that and play competitive against the tough teams. So obviously, when you trade a Jesus Lazardo, you you're saying Starling Marte's a guy that yeah you know, this is the dude right? Yeah. You're bringing in the guy. How do you project when you're bringing a guy in? How good do you think he's going to do? <laughs> and then how well and how much I should say has he exceeded your expectations? Here's the thing: you don't know what a guy can do until you see him play every day as much as we look at guys stats and metrics and analytics you know we've learned over the years until you see someone on an everyday basis you don't really know how he's able to impact a game and i i won't say that we knew when we were play, making plans to, for this trade we knew what starling could do on a day-to-day basis i i knew his history and i knew his numbers and i talked to you know people with arizona and pittsburgh who had him before and you get a sense 
But until you see this guy in the lineup every day and you, fe you feel what it's like every time he gets to first base, you think he's going to get to second, which he has, frankly, every, <laughs> every single time. I mean, those are little intangible things that sort of impact the feel of the club. And, and it certainly made – it made an impact right when he got here, and like I said, we went on that little run. And, and then right in times like this when, you know, you lose two out of three Rangers, you lose three out of four to the White Sox, a guy like that still has an impact to sort of bring you out of it and, and help you out. And, and obviously we, we had guys like that. You know, Chappie and Ole can change a game with a single swing, obviously, the way they did yesterday. Um, but, man, you know, when you see Starling every day, you look at your lineup every day and see him in the two-hole, it's hard to quantify that impact. Yeah, the fact that he's getting on first base, I know I'm sitting on my couch in San Jose. I know he's going, right? You, you yeah. don't think Tony LaRusso and the White Sox? <laughs> it's like everybody knows, and he's not going to get thrown out. It's like – it's like Ricky Henderson. I don't want to compare him to Rick, but right. it's, it's kind of like Ricky Henderson. It's, and it's unique in today's game because we just don't see it. I mean, I know we talk a lot around here about not stealing bases and, and how we don't do it, but it, it, it doesn't happen around the game that much. But, you know, evidenced by the fact that he can do what he's doing now and lead the, the game in stolen bases after just a two-week <laughs> two stretch. I mean, you just don't see that as part of the game that much, but when you have it as a weapon, it's really powerful and um, – yeah, I, we're, we're lucky to have him. You know, we've had Jan Gomes on. He's very, very impressive. And, I mean, he's got the resume. He's got the ring. He's, you know, he's – how do you plan on utilizing the catching position down the stretch? Uh, look, we got Jan not because Sean Murphy did anything wrong, but because we were able to solidify a, a, a piece of our team that we felt like needed an upgrade. And for Bob to have the two guys who on any given night – could be in there on any team could both be called a starter it just it just makes you that much deeper and, it, and when you've got guys banged up and tired this part of the year for Bob to have the option on any given night to put one of them in I mean the way it works out right now Jan's playing mostly against lefties Murph's playing mostly against righties and there's some mixing and matching obviously with day games and uh, and guys having more of a rapport with some pitchers, but it's just it's a nice option for Bob to have, I think, and have got both guys who study pitchers, know our guys, know what to do. It's it's really worked out well, and hopefully Murph has benefited from from the experience you mentioned that Jan has. Yeah, I think there's no question long term this is good for Sean. Yeah, you'd have to think so. I mean, because like you said, he's been around, he's been in both leagues, he's been in the postseason. All the all these little things that he brings to the table are huge. You know, I know we talked in the past about the trading deadline, how exciting it was, and no waiver wire process. No Verlander with 10 seconds left going to the Houston Astros. But now that Bassett has gotten hurt, and and, and you could be general with other teams, other people have had injuries, do you think executives around right now are kind of missing the waiver wire process? I think we've said that from the beginning when they put this, you know, put the new rules in, is that it, it, anything that limits, you know, or hampers our flexibility is – is not something that we would frankly vote vote in favor of so yeah i think we saw it in 2019 and um you know less so last year just because the season was so abbreviated but yeah when you don't have the option after basically after july 30th to to do anything significant to your club it it hurts and and you hope that you're not the team that kind of gets left out there with, with no options but you know everybody's gonna have injuries the last two months of the year it would be nice to be able to do something but you know, to that point, you got to build your depth and make sure you have answers in-house. 
Well, we saw with the Padres and the Dodgers, Jake Arrieta, Cole Hamels, they, they tried to take the veteran <laughs> off the street. Didn't work out. Both no, guys it, got hurt. Is there really anything you can do right now, you guys, front office, other than what you got in the minor leagues? Probably not. I mean, there there are some guys out there on outright waivers. Unfortunately, we lost J.B. Wendelkin that way. Um, I mean, that's the other side. The flip side of it is we don't get anything in return for a guy like J.B. When you have to make a have to make a move here and designate a guy, you don't have any recourse to sort of bring back some value. So, um, no, I think, look, it's fair to say the rest of the way we're dependent on the guys who are here now. Uh, obviously, you know, Paulie's in the rotation now. He came up and did a really nice job the other night in, the, in facing a tough lineup, and he'll get another start against Seattle next week. Um, but we're, you know, look, Dalton's down in AAA. Brownie's down there now. Sky Bolt's doing well. Austin Allen's swinging well. I mean, those are the guys we're going to be talking about the rest of the way. So when I think about your relationship with Farhan, how many years did you guys work together? Uh, Far was here for 10 years. It's a long time. Yeah, it, it was. And you're what, like 23? This is my 22nd season. 20, yeah. yeah. So how's the dialogue? It's, it's like so, it was. It was interesting him being with the Dodgers. Okay, but yeah. him now being with the Giants is interesting. What's the dialogue like, like between you two? It's it's more friendly and personal. We don't we don't. I mean, look, if something comes up, we'll talk shop. But um, but no, my relationship with Far is is mostly as a friend now, and we text a lot. I actually don't talk to him or see him as much as I would like to. Um, but we text a lot. He only lives a few miles away. He's in the East Bay. I don't know if Giants fans know that, but <laughs> he's living in the East Bay. Um, but no, it's it. And, you know, these games, we sort of stay away from each other because we're both competitive and intense and it has nothing to do with the other guy. But I don't want to lose to these guys. That has nothing. Yeah. To, that has nothing to do with Farhan. But um, so it's it's nice having him in town. I get to see his wife and his son. And but um but it's mostly just friendly at this point. I mean, you you, you even once said on the show, you hate losing in AAA to these guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's more about Sacramento than the Giants. <laughs> so when you look over at their team, I mean, obviously they, they're out of nowhere, right? I mean, it's amazing the, the year that they've had, and they're talking about breaking their all-time home record, home run record, and that was the year Barry hit 73. How much is this team built like an old-school A's team? I don't know about that. I mean, they have they have a different way of doing things. They have a little more money to spend, from what I hear. But this is, I mean, this is absolutely Farr's hard work. I mean, he's done an incredible job bringing in, you know, the starting pitchers they've brought in and hit on from Gaussman to Wood to Desclafani. I mean, they've done a great job identifying those guys. Plus, they get contributions from, from Crawford, from Longoria, from Buster. I mean, these guys who've been here for a long time, and you fill in with the the, the you know the Stremskis the Wades I mean they've just done such a great job of transacting and bringing guys in that none of it really surprises me I mean you you sort of said came out of nowhere they, they were pretty good last year it's hard to it's hard to say in a 60 game season what your true talent level is they missed they basically missed the playoffs by one bad strike call uh, the last day of the season so they could have easily been a playoff team last year and uh, I, th I think, you know, nobody really expected them to necessarily be ahead of the Dodgers, but I think we all knew they were going to be good this year. Cody, educate us on uh, how many uh, pitchers in this series starters were uh, drafted by the teams. Uh, so I was looking at this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Literally every guy in the Giants rotation, with the exception of Logan Webb, was a free agent. Cueto, DiScafani, Gossman, uh, Alex Wood, sure. Sammy Long, all guys they brought in through free agency. 
all of our starting pitchers, with the exception of Dalton Jeffries, who started this year, mm-hmm. have been through trades, which is remarkable. Yeah, that sounds right. So, I mean, you, you use your drafted guys to trade for guys, yeah. right? They use their money to sign free agents. It's, you know, it's the same game. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that like, like we're always talking about development in the draft, then you start looking around going, well, Kate Chapman and Olsen, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, Murphy's behind the plate. Yeah. Don't forget about that. I mean, but, again, when you talk about guys who are traded for, how do you get players in trades? You use the players who you draft and sign. And, and there's a long list of guys who we've drafted or signed internationally that were traded for, for Ramon or for Manaya or for Bassett or, or, you know, whoever is out there. So, um, or, or even Elvis. I mean, you trade a Jonah Heim who we already traded for once to get Elvis. So it's all part of the same cycle. But, yeah, look, you don't you don't get to this point just by sitting on your drafted guys and hoping they get to the big leagues. you got to make something out of them. Well, i got to tell you, it's always great to have you every single week here for the David Ford Show. And this is going to be an exciting week, three against the Giants, two against the Mariners, four against the Yankees. And uh, we'll pop our heads up and see where the A's are. But this is going to be a lot of fun. This, well, this is why we do this, I right? Hope, I hope you guys have fun. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to have a lot of fun the next 10 days, but – Everybody else, enjoy it. You're going to be pacing that carpet in your suite? <laughs> uh, I can get my 20,000 steps for sure. <laughs> well, we always appreciate the time. You be well and be safe with the family. All right, see you guys. The David Ford Show right here on A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.